Hey everybody, Chris here with Actualization Station. I'm sitting here with my friend and uh, previous professor, Gary Burgle. And I just wanted to uh, have a conversation with this gentleman today. He's an art professor, um, photographer, artist in his own right. He does a lot of good work in our local area. So how are we doing today, Gary? Doing very well. It's good to be reconnected with you, Chris. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you were a great professor of mine, and you were a big inspiration in the short time wow. that I got to spend with you. Yes. Likewise, I'm indebted to you, as I've told many people, for pointing me toward a mushroom extract, chaga, that helped me when I had a two-and-a-half-year battle with Lyme disease. I'm glad that helped. It did. And I'm still taking it for DNA support. Awesome. It's good stuff. It's Yeah, good. it's a really unique mushroom. We're just beginning to get into seeing the benefits of mushrooms here in the States. Europe is ahead of us. Are they? Okay. Yeah. I know on the West yeah. Coast it's really big to oh, have yeah. mushroom yeah. coffee shops and things right. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I did recently learn that mushrooms are more, even more bioavailable to right. us than plants. We're even more closely related with mushrooms, yeah. which is really intriguing. Fungi. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. So... Um, just tell us a little bit about your background and your interests. Well, I actually was touching on it. I was born and raised on the lakeshore area of Wisconsin and am ever more grateful that it started on a farm mm -hmm. and I could look out every day upon all the beautiful rolling glacial hills dotted with little lakes everywhere. We nice. could go fish within biking distance in any awesome. direction almost we wanted to. Yeah. And Lake Michigan just 10 miles away. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, helped form my aesthetic of appreciating pastoral landscapes, pastoral beauty, water, mm. skies, light. Mm. Uh, younger than eight. Wow. Just the beauties of farm life, uh, the realities of it too, which can be very, very harsh. You think about calves being born and my dad slaughtered animals. Inter interesting contrast there. Right, yeah. yeah. I was playing around with rabbits and still carry the scar from being bitten almost <laughs> down to the bone. Savage little yeah. rabbits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the orchards and the wow. gardens and the flowers and the hills and all. So, and it, I think, pointed me towards science hmm. and um, became a biology major. It's going to be a high school biology teacher. And didn't have an art course till my sophomore year in college because the man who taught art in the high school I went to died the year I came into high school and they didn't replace him until um, I think after I graduated. Okay. But my biology teacher had a dark room as part of his biology lab. Interesting. And he took us through film photography and then taught me more about it and helped me become a photographer. Very cool. And I became one of the photographers in the high school with my 4 by 5 inch sheet film press camera, shooting the basketball games and many other events and everything. Had my own darkroom. And at a family funeral about a year to two years ago, when 
the family member of a niece had died. They brought out her pictures, and those were the first portraits I had ever taken when I set up my photo studio, and we figured out that I was actually 16 Neat. when I cranked up my first photo studio, started taking portraits and baby pictures and wedding pictures. And photography has remained with me, and my iPhone camera is really akin to daily drawing for me. Hmm. where I'm photographing something pretty much every day, sometimes more than once a day. Good practice. Yeah, of seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was into science and then was introduced to the visual arts. And when I got to the Madison campus, University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, it really started captivating me while I was also, though, being groomed. I got a part-time job and Dr. John W. Thompson, a world-renowned lichenologist, Arctic lichenologist. The lichens are growing up in the Arctic. Mm -hmm. Uh, He senses past. But he asked if I'd be interested in doing like a senior thesis project with him and he really was wanting to groom me for a PhD in, in lichenology, in lichenology. Wow, okay. And a new field of it that was opening just then was chemical taxonomy, classifying plants not on the basis of external appearances, but internal chemistry. Hmm. So he had me do chemical research on every lichen specimen north of Mexico that he had in his herbarium. And I would come in into this herbarium that smelled like mothballs because you (laughs) use that in there to preserve the plant material and art was grabbing at me and I thought this is not what I want to do the rest of my life come into a room smelling like mothballs as interesting as it was and so I wouldn't show up sometimes for a month or two at a time and one day passing his open door he called me in and said sit down we've got to talk I see what's happening you're discovering yourself and there's nothing more important that could happen in your undergrad years and he said, I'm disappointed because, you know, you really could go into chemical taxonomy if you chose to. Hmm. And he said, you're doing A-level research and I want to publish it, so you need to finish it. And he was a very firm but loving father figure looking back in my life. Um, so did you And I came back and completed yeah. it. And That's a good lesson. Though. As I returned to teaching five years ago at Blue Ridge Community Tech College, on my resume was that thesis. I had extracted it first from, I think, the Harvard Botanical Library, and then I finally got it out of the University of Wisconsin Library, too. And I counted it as part of my art resume. Nice. <laughs> my art credentials. <laughs> and now I'm viewing myself as an interdisciplinary artist. Okay. And what do you mean by that? I'm seeing more than ever before at my age now uh, that everything as da Vinci said and I'll quote him one of the notes Leonardo da Vinci wrote to himself said study the science of art it can be approached as a science study the art of science Hmm. develop your senses especially learn how to see and see is a huge word what does Hmm. it mean to see in the midst of life. Hmm. 
realize that everything connects to everything else. Intriguing. A note, Da Vinci. A polymath. We say that he had a polymath kind of mind. Uh, Galileo is said to have a polymath kind of mind. The guy I'm looking at here, Chris McKinley, has a polymath. And what does that mean, polymath? Interested in most everything. Awesome. In the midst of life. Yeah. Yeah. And for me more than ever before, in the whole of the universe. I mean, we live at a time where we now know there are more than four billion, with a B, galaxies. I've heard up to 10 billion galaxies. That we found. Yes. That we have, however, found in existence out there. Uh, Last year, the ripple in space that Einstein predicted a hundred years ago mm-hmm. would probably be recorded by us, was recorded by us from how many, what, 50 million light years away or something? something the collision like of two black holes creating I a ripple. I about that. Yeah, gravitational waves that yes, rippled. Yes, yes, in the universe. He was universe. predicting those a hundred years ago. Well, we're now documenting them, recording and documenting them. So, I've been in the last year more than ever before, just, and as I teach, I want to learn more uh, about cosmologies, the cosmos. Mm -hmm. Spell that with a C or a K. Mm -hmm. Early Greek versions would be cosmos with a K. Hmm. Now we generally spell it with a C. We do forget that there's stars up there, especially when we're living in cities. Yes. There's an excellent book called The End of Night Mm. about city dwellers not able to experience the kind of black velvet star-studded night that our, even Neanderthal ancestors experienced and how it moved them. It evokes a sense of wonder if you bring a city kid that's never seen a starlit sky out into the country and you show them that, it's mind-blowing. Yes. I ask my art history classes to time travel back. They have to dump a whole lot of stuff to even try to imagine what our ancestors felt like, experienced, what their emotions were. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our ancestors in the human family. Which I feel we're pretty disconnected from. That would be one way of being able to appreciate and understand the kind of mind state that people before us had. So I've, I think, since childhood been interested in, you could say being multidisciplinary, but I'm changing it to interdisciplinary. Because mm-hmm. I'm trying to put things together, mm-hmm. connect dots, mm-hmm. rather than divide and compartmentalize and then end up feeling separated from another person and who they are and where they are right now in their lives. And I find as a teacher, as an educator, I've got to try not to be in that posture that true educators are in a sense for and with their students rather than thinking they necessarily know more or know better and are speaking down to. So you're thinking more of a side-by-side, we're walking together process, than I'm over you and I'm preaching down to you. Because I learn a lot from 
a good number of students. And one of them finally researched, one of my independent study students, I said, why don't you Google or Bing or whatever and find out how old was Michelangelo when he uttered the phrase we've turned into a refrigerator magnet, I am still a learner. He was 82 years old. Awesome. Yeah. So the one who painted the Sistine Chapel paintings, 82, I'm still a learner. And I find that the happiest humans that you read about or can you know, look into their life story, they were in that posture of remaining learners. Staying curious. Staying curious. Yeah, yeah not losing that natural sense of wonder. Right. I feel like as we grow up, uh, we oftentimes do lose right. that as we yeah. think yeah. Yeah. through the process of maturation that we're supposed to be ever exactly. more serious and less childlike, but there's one aspect of childhood that I don't think we need to lose, which is that natural sense of awe and wonder. And playfulness. And playfulness, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth said, unless you become as a child. Mm -hmm. He said, look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds. As though with he fresh new eyes, as though you've never seen them before. Yeah. See how they don't fret and toil and worry. They don't have anxiety. Depression complexes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you find that principle of looking at or into nature or up at the stars, at the moon. Um, so I'm trying to sort of um, reintegrate. And then to create up out of that, say, creativity is very akin and parallel to this state of playfulness as we touched on and in my hands-on art class I have students spend a fair amount of time thinking back can you remember when you were lost in play hmm. as a child what hmm. did you feel like what was going on how did you get lost in play how did you do it back then and we have now TED talks we can watch and listen to to help us get back there too as adults yeah. because if you can remain playful in the midst of life in a correct sense I'm not talking self-destruction with drugs and whatever mm -hmm. behavior you'll be a healthier human being and a happier human being if you can approach life with some playfulness with, with work play. yeah can I you see work as play can you see or some would mm -hmm. say work as a posture of prayer as a prayer or, a meditation. or something sacred yeah. Yeah. something you've mentioned yeah um, yeah or is it just drudgery right well I think that's the, the trick yeah. that we play on ourselves with our minds the thinking yeah. minds we believe every thought yeah. that comes up yeah and we will oftentimes teach yeah. ourselves to dislike something when by letting go of our preferences, right. our yeah. idea of the way things should be, yeah. uh, we, can, we can free ourselves, yeah. Yeah. come back into that natural state of wonder and, yeah. and actually enjoy what we're doing and do the best job at it that you can, whether exactly. you're washing the dishes or yeah. cleaning the car, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was even that funny monk named Brother Lawrence, we don't know a lot about him, but he said that his deepest times of worship were in the monastery kitchen scrubbing pots and pans. They weren't in the monastery chapel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I remember when I learned to enjoy washing dishes rather yeah. than to test the process. Yeah, yeah. Something you said about creativity and keeping that, that curiosity, that willing, that right. interest in learning alive right. into our elder years. Yeah. Uh, I think that's also not only crucial for the individual, but for society as a whole, since society oh. is made up of nothing but individuals. Absolutely. And being, being able to keep that imagination alive, that, yep. cr that ability to create alive where we can mm -hmm. bring about mm -hmm. uh, new, new forms of uh, systems of, of governance, yes. of interaction with one another, right. of worship, or what, whatever it is. Right. And I think that we absolutely have to keep right. that innovation alive to continue right. to progress right. as a species. Mm -hmm. You will find generally when humans are oppressed and or persecuted and or imprisoned and or put into encampments, they remain or become creative in unusual ways. The drawings we found on scraps of paper, uh, World War I and World War II patients with what we now call PTSD and traumatic brain injuries put into asylums, drawing with blackened wooden matchsticks, like burnt out matchsticks, on mm. pieces of toilet tissue. Wow because it was therapy yeah absolutely. it was healing yeah. it was releasing and freeing they had to get it out of themselves 12-step recovery meetings the confidentiality practice there the anonymity what is shared in the room stays in the rooms and the human beings have to share to regain healing and freedom mm. and individual liberty peace serenity mm. Uh, and we're relearning that, I think, the hard way in a lot of cases. Why we have our big art supply stores again, arts and craft supply, Michaels, Hobby Lobby, oh, A.J. Yeah. Yeah. Moore. Uh, this resurgence of human beings needing even to color in coloring books as adults. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a huge thing on Etsy now. People are making jewelry left and right. I, I must jewelry know like 15 making. different people yeah. that make jewelry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Crafting of all sorts. Um, is because culture overall is quite oppressive and overwhelming. And we wake up, if you listen to any news, you can feel overwhelmed and powerless in a wrong sense where I can't do anything about. It's a constant balance, isn't it? And keeping our cultures yeah, fresh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and growing and healthy while at the same right. time maintaining the useful traditions right, right, that we've right, developed right. over time. So back around to my beginnings, uh, mm -hmm. I also was born and raised in Roman Catholicism. This would have been pre-Vatican II, so the church services were in Latin, which I actually appreciate. Exposed me to a foreign language, a romantic language, a very lyrical language, and I had to learn some of it, became an altar boy. and. In about sixth grade, I built a laboratory in my bedroom because of my science interests, see, and that's why I thought I'll be a scientist. But it also was hitting me, the arts were hitting me. I was being exposed to them through various even elementary school teachers, uh, or had been, and I thought, well, what's the difference between the priest and a scientist and an artist. And I still am musing over that sixth question. grade question Wow, That's as I look question. at my test tubes. But 
I would have been required to go to morning mass, which would have been in Latin, in a very beautiful setting, though, with stained glass windows and all. Absolutely. So there was beauty around me mm -hmm. and mystery. Mystery, yes, yes. And, and then I could make things, and um, the only school in the village was taught by Franciscans, so you could have been a Protestant in the village, and there were some, and they all went to the same parochial school. And we received an excellent education from the Franciscan nuns. Hmm. Took us into literature. I mean, read us novels after noon lunch break to calm us down or whatever, to get us back into the learning mode. Uh, and exposed us to a lot that I otherwise would never have been exposed to, I think, in a little country village, right. a dairy farm village in Wisconsin. So I'm ever more grateful. And um, that's that interrelationship of everything, see, and the essence of things, or as uh, the writer Annie Dillard, you know, I photograph ordinary stuff. There are photographers who are even called scene chasers. And we've got to get out to a national park, or I've got to get to this historic building photograph a scene or a site or whatever and I've gone to some places with photographer friends and I find myself shooting stuff down the ditch <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> a little ditch flower might captivate me as much as they're photographing the historic building and that's just who I am and I can see a lot of that came into me through childhood there's the whole eastern aesthetic called wabi-sabi celebrating the ordinary mm. Uh, the broken and repaired, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. temporary. We're all going to go back into dust, so let's celebrate that fact rather than fight it. That say, cyclical process of yes, life unto death, of yeah, life unto yeah, death, yeah. the rebuilding. Yeah. And I think Zen Buddhism celebrates some of those aspects more than some other schools, perhaps, of Buddhism might. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, certain schools of Christianity have, and yet, as I've had to teach human creative expression from various civilizations and cultures, I find similarities. And so what captivates me now is bottom line human creative expression, mm. whatever nature that might take for you, for me, for someone coming into my classroom with autism, and I have some autistic students, what do you mean by bottom line? Um, we're conceived creative as human beings. In humanities, we teach around the fundamental core question, what does it mean to be human? Mm -hmm. And we talk about the human condition. Mm -hmm. And you can go in a variety of directions to discuss those things. What are our characteristics or attributes that make us distinctly human. Right. My wife, after raising a larger family, including some adopted children, is now breeding canaries. And I watch her canaries make nests every spring. They've just been doing it again. And she's got over 150 new little canaries hatched out and banded. Wow. But I don't see any canary taking the raw material that she puts in the cages, the threads and all, and creating architecture. Mm. There's no Frank Gehry right. doing Canary. titanium <laughs> Frank clad. Gary, 
curvilinear art museums in our aviary. Uh, they have beautiful bird songs. They do, and they, they sometimes have really interesting uh, displays that they put off and dances right. that they do. But that's and if you play country music next to baby canaries, they'll develop certain kinds of songs. Versus oh, wow. if you play classical music, I've never heard next that. That's to really baby cool. canaries. And if you have Fife Canaries listen to the songs of American singers, you'll find nuances that they pick up in How some cool. of their songs that they develop. And then you have all the birds outside, a group of which sing before dawn. Mm -hmm. There's that, and that's one of my favorite times, is the beginning of first light. And there are songs that help awaken light every morning. And their songs are totally different than... Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. So this is what's intriguing me, and... Uh, so, but bottom line, creativity, you, you mean the most basic sort of creative things that we do as human beings? Yeah, what you... And creativity, of course, would be clomped onto by the corporate and business world and the industries of the planet because it has to do with problem solving. Mm and seeing new, innovative, original solutions mm -hmm. and or products, algorithms mm -hmm. <laughs> to bring us into today and all of the court battles just beginning right. over uh, social media and I could name them, but I won't, you know. Well, the that can be the for major, now. huge tech yeah. firms yeah. that are more than influencing our lives. Absolutely, yeah. Moving toward control of one sort or another. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And are we going to permit it or not? And what does freedom mean in terms of the age of the World Wide Web? You know, are we but little spiders on the web that prey is coming after? Or, you know, we're prey for what's coming after us or not? Big questions and uh, big ethical dilemmas, moral dilemmas, that we tend to not address in advance. No, it's definitely outpacing our ability to keep up We address. tend to always be behind in getting around ethics. Uh, and so you, it's a very, very deep time we live in. It is. Yeah, and it's very fundamental because of that. What does it mean to be human? Right. And how valuable is being human to us as humans, and unless we value ourselves correctly, how are we going to value anything mm, else? Or anything else, yeah. On our home planet. Right. We obviously are not doing a great job. Well, the more fragmentary and divided yeah, yeah, that yeah, we become, yeah, the, yeah. the more it definitely does seem to be a state of jeopardy yeah, for us. Yeah. Whereas if we understood that sense of interconnectedness, we'd have right, a more holistic right, right. view and understanding of of the world and the ways we impact yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So the arts and creativity and our way of reintegrating ourselves, I think, as human beings, or knowing ourselves more as integrated beings rather than splintered, fractured beings, say? Mm -hmm. And what's interesting uh, is waking up to the fact that 
the word artist is morphing right now. It no longer means, if I say, who's your favorite artist, you probably would name a band or a musician. Right, yeah. You wouldn't name a visual artist or a painter. Right. So the word artist culturally today, to most people, is not going to mean the visual arts. Um, we have Americans in the arts, and a couple of years back they were emphasizing the fact that that meant making mm -hmm. and being about making. What kind of maker are you? What are you producing in your life? And is that in any way making a better world mm -hmm. or trying to, mm -hmm. say, a better society, a more peaceful society? Mm -hmm. uh, we used to call it domestic tranquility, which I think is a good term, actually. Now it's morphing into being called, are you a creative? Mm -hmm. Say? And I find calls coming for art competitions simply to creatives. Like, hey, all creatives out there, what are you up to? You might be into creative political activism, street protests. Just a few days ago was a news report of um, a performance art piece done at, I forget which museum in Washington, D.C. or nearby us here, that from the balconies, prescription-sized pieces of paper were being released to protest and to reinforce the legal actions being taken against Big Pharma uh. and the companies that unleashed the opiate epidemic. Mm -hmm. That's a hopeful sign that we're seeing these guys get yeah. taken to court. Yeah. New performance art pieces like that and in the streets over in Ukraine, which just went through elections, and they elected a TV personality who plays a president, a benevolent president, a good president in one of their TV programs. Wow, really? Is the new now, president of Ukraine. And Ukraine, huh? Ukraine. Intrigue. And the candy confectioner wealthy oligarch is out of office. <laughs> the candy and if you look at photos taken in some of the street protests in Kiev, you'll find elderly women wearing their headscarves, babushkas, all carrying a mirror that they point toward the policeman or the soldier or the security guard who's about to hit them with their baton. Powerful. And what are they saying? I asked my class this. They're saying, strike me and you're striking yourself. You just don't understand. It's a powerful message, though. Yes, yeah. but these new forms of performance art, political activism, street activism, incorporating handmade posters everywhere today. Say. That so, is something interesting art does for us, is it allows us to see ourselves in wholly new ways. If art, you might remember this from the class. What is good art? What is successful art? Art that is a good mirror, either on the artist, who they might be, male or female, uh, in their time, or now trans, uh, in our time, and what are they asking us to regard? Hmm. What are they, in a sense, reflecting? Their personal creative expression as mm -hmm. a human and, being. And my essential yeah. humanness. Yes. Yes. 
their take on the times we're in, mm-hmm. the times that an artist of one sort or another would live in. You don't have to like that art, say, but can you appreciate it as the creative expression from a fellow human being? That is why it has innate worth and value because the human behind it has innate worth and value and should be regarded. That's an interesting concept we have here in the West and they have in other places in the world, but it's, it's a big part of our system of governance, um, of democracies in general, to regard each individual as absolutely essential. Right. As though that person has some divine element within them. Yes. That they're all part of this whole great yeah. Well, that is ongoing. our inherited Judeo-Christian Western Civ take on the human family. All image bearers. Let us create mankind, humankind, in our image and according to our likeness. Mm. The plurality of the Godhead, Genesis chapter 1. All of equal worth and value, whether or not you are born, we could say perfect. I am born with one leg shorter than the other, Mm -hmm. or with a mental handicap or not. No, all of equal worth and value. Mm. That's probably one of the primary issues before us today. Because what we think about that, about every individual human beings, and we're sort of peaking in a time of individual rights and freedoms. Yes. See, some would even say entitlements. Yes. Uh, well, if we're asking for rights and freedoms without the responsibility that goes right. along with them, then yeah. I think but what be. is the moral, spiritual wrap around it all, say? How do we view ourselves as cosmic dust that somehow reanimated or yeah. animated itself? Yeah. Um, stardust, mm-hmm. and we're dust. So I mean, hey, Absolutely. and we're out yeah, we're, in the we're the products of uh, the explosions of stars and the atoms well, yeah. that were I mean, created. So I mean, I don't. Again, we don't even have to discount. So, so you brought up the the term Godhead, which isn't used in the Bible, but I think it comes from Hindu. Well, no, it's there. El, El, E, L, one of the El, oldest okay, so it's terms used, used in Hebrew. El, Elohim, God Most High. God Most High. Yeah, yeah. When I think of the term Godhead, I think of this infinitely expressive, infinite amount of faces and beingness and ex- ways of, of designing itself. It's infinite in every direction. So that, that's what I get from Godhead. And that, I've never learned that in church. It's that there. Way, it's there, uh, but it's... it's it's coming back, mysteries returning. Mm-hmm. Uh, your generation and even younger than you are recapturing, looking back to first century Christianity, mm-hmm. the first century church, the first followers of that interesting rabbi from Nazareth, Yeshua HaMashiach, who they held to be the Messiah. Who was just full of profound metaphors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, See, you just touched on one interesting attribute, infinite, well, eternal, pre-existent. Pre-existent, omnipresent. Well, all the attributes, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. And yet, 
go out the back door and you end up again greater than all of that or more than all of that. Uh, what was, what scripture, New Testament scripture clearly posits is that as Einstein said that there are ripples, waves in the universe. Well, a spiritual ripple was released when that one was crucified on the Roman execution stake. And a redemptive ripple was released that would eventually redeem, reorder, reclaim, reintegrate, heal the entire cosmos. And God would again be all in all. Mm. That that sent one would accomplish it, set it into motion, and it would be accomplished and be handed back in love to the originator, the source, what many call the Father, Abba, and God would again be all in all. Mm. I like that idea of accepting the creative divine source's gift of life, yeah. the bestowal of this experience, this, yeah, this beautiful yeah, planet, yeah, yeah. and our appreciation of it being consciously given back unto the source as we're experiencing it. So even if we don't believe in God, maybe in the traditional sense, right. we can have a sense of wonder for the great mystery as it unfolds right. and realize that our full interaction with it perhaps allows us to experience the most fulfilling life. When do we experience that? I would posit as many writers from many backgrounds and all would say, when you know you're loved. Mm. When you know you're loved. Notice I didn't just say when you know love. Love by, is sort and you of mean big by, right now. By God, or even by a child, or by a well, spouse, or because because I feel like that can be just as oh, profound yeah. as somebody yes. that's you know deeply yeah. uh, religious. When you uh, know you're loved, and what if there is again a source and an intelligent personality there too? What if? You know, I, I like the idea of remaining open about it. Um, having too much certainty seems to limit our ability to experience right, the world right. around us and, and can close us off from learning new things. But, right. of course, we, nobody knows for certain the most learned uh, religious man and, and the most experienced scientist could tell us everything they know and it still wouldn't be proof positive of whether or not there really is or isn't some generative, omnipresent, divine source of creation. But I do like the idea of maintaining that sense of fascination for life as it unfolds. Science is bringing it back around. Uh, you have many scientists who we've lived through, you and I have lived through the intelligent design movement. Uh, you have major scientists unashamedly talking in terms of a god. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Einstein did, though his concepts were not what 
a Christian worshiping at a corner church might have as their mindset. Right, and he did talk about that. He yeah, talked about yeah. his fellow academics and scientists and those yeah. that had a, kind of a grudge against organized religion as the opiate of the masses yeah, yeah. who can no longer hear the music of the spheres. Yeah. And, he, and he terms himself yeah. a cosmist. Yeah, religion and often moving into corrupted spirituality of one kind or another. Which is perhaps, uh, well, of course, obviously seems to be what has caused so much of right. that push against. And Did you ever go through that yourself? Did you ever experience a time where you closed off from Christianity? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't feel to really share today, but I might if we talk again. Um, right, yeah. Um, well, I think that it's something that a lot of us are going through nowadays. Many. And I, I want and in raising our own children, we just simply would tell them, you have to figure out how to make reality real inside of your own skin. And I say reality with a capital R. Like you can t we can talk about truths, and then we might still even looking back to Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and all, because we've inherited so much from Greece that was pre-Christian, mm -hmm. uh, and that in impacted Judaism for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can have truth with a capital T instead of many truths. And we would simply say, you have to make this real inside of your own skin in your generation. Find your own relationship well, with God. Yes. And to, can you know this entity called God relationally? Mm -hmm. I have friends who work far harder to disbelieve than to believe in a personal God. They're afraid to believe in a personal God because of so much what we even call junk in space now. You yeah. know, we've got well, so, so much, much of debris our floating units. around the planet that it's almost dangerous to send up a rocket. Right. Well, well that's, that's true. So we, we, we often identify religion or the belief in right. God with something right. very literalist, right. something very dogmatic. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, I, in a sense, walked away from everything I had been raised in context with. And then, though, a night came when a Tibetan Buddhist guru rolled out blueprints for a community we were going to build next to a river in Wisconsin, a commune and said that we would need to be living in varied house trailers because the powers we would be working with and needing to whatever, whatever, uh, would be too dangerous to work with if we were above ground for astral travel and all of that and astral projection. And something in me snapped because what I was after in life as a seeker, and many of us were seekers, spiritual seekers, reality seekers in the 70s, and many of you are today. Mm -hmm. uh, all I knew was that whatever I was after was not... You were looking for truth with the capital T. In an underground house trailer. N yeah, not for play. And I was living in an attic garret as an artist in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I can remember going upstairs. We, we had a commune, an old Victorian house, and I loved the attic room because it had a little diamond-shaped window. I could look out at the sky at night. and was into prayer there and contemplative prayer and meditation. 
And I remember just something snapped and I walked around for three days, no matter what anybody asked me, I would just say, I don't know anymore. Don't ask me, man. I don't know anymore. And I remember looking out that little diamond window at night, praying a prayer, God, if you exist, and I don't know if you exist, I don't know anymore, man. Mm. You have to get me to you mm. because I don't know anymore. Mm. And that was a big turning point. And things started happening and unfolding in my life. Uh, you guys say a higher orchestration started setting in. Synchronicities yeah. started to occur. Yeah, yeah. And there was a long journey, mm. see. And then a morning came where I had a living encounter with the risen Christ is all I can say. Hmm. Uh, I was teaching at Western Michigan University and there's a whole long pathway. What brought me back to Kalamazoo, Michigan from, Can from a time in Canada, sojourning in Canada. And I would normally wake and bake as we called it to maybe a few joints of marijuana to face teaching on the hill another day and all of that, you know, what the system brings you. And suddenly as I was drinking coffee and dawned on me, I don't even desire to light up a joint of marijuana. Hmm. And I was a free man and Christ and I would say a cosmic expression and what the psalmist said, the term they gave and they still use in Jewish prayers today, rabbis do, the king of the universe was present. Unmistakably. Unmistakably. Experientially. And I'm grateful because it was an expression also of his authority. See, kingship has to do with authority. Um, it settled some issues, not every one, because I'm hardwired in a lot of interesting ways <laughs> as an artist, you know. But I was free. And... Uh, and how did you feel after that experience? I knew I was loved. <laughs> Having been rejected by... Um, so you had an experience of grace. Grace, mercy. Mercy. What now, I like to link the two Hebrew words, ahava, hesed, mercy, love. Mm. Ahava, love, mm. hesed, we can't even pronounce it. <laughs> hesed. It's full of the Holy Spirit, so there's always this kind of... Wherever there's the breath of God and the, and the Spirit, there's this Ruach, Ruach HaKodesh. Interesting. Hebrew for Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, the scent active one of the Godhead stooping at creation and fashioning the most beautiful inanimate clay dirt sculpture, we could say, and then breathing in the breath of life. Mm -hmm. And humans become living souls. That word air, I think, comes from yeah. spirit, yeah. right? Yeah, ruach. Uh, and in Greek, you have... So it's like uh, you breathe to spirit into... Pneuma. You have very few words beginning with pneuma. You have psych a lot. Mm -hmm. Psychology, psychiatry, mm -hmm. the mind. Mind, yeah. But you also have pneuma. Numinous. Which is for, like, pneumatic tires. Oh, yeah, okay. Tires filled go. with air, pneuma, spirit. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Yeah. And then there was the stooping, as uh, Christian theologians would have it, at the crucifixion. 
the incarnation first, uh, God embodying himself in flesh and visiting, coming down, stooping, to reach for and take the human family back. That's the difference between what you see more clearly in early Christianity than what we've turned it all into. Um, God reaching for man and reclaiming and re-receiving man, redeeming man, versus man reaching for God or to become God-like through various practices, disciplines, etc. Major distinctive between whatever this all is from Adam and it seems know, like the, Noah, Seth, the first Abraham, of, of receiving, yeah, and God stooping would be us allowing us to come to a state of surrender and opening. Well, yeah, yeah. And whereas the trying to be God and rise to that would be more like the ego trying to dress itself up right. and right. add on additional yeah. attributes in order to... See, but I was the, hunted... But the person can't become God. Well... Because that's the... The person is a personage, is a cast illusion, is an image, yeah, is a front, is yeah, a per- yeah, personality yeah, complex, yeah, 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 idea yeah, yeah, in yeah. our heads. Well, we've got a lot of different concepts we humans have yeah. crafted yeah. and entertain and think about and... It's good. Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Don't be afraid to knock. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to um, seek. Um, don't be afraid to seek. Even if you don't believe in a God or a creative source of any kind, I think that this awesome universe that we are so fortunate to be a part of is wondrous yeah. Yeah. and transcendent enough Right. To, to, right. to have a sense of worship for, a sense of reverence yeah. for, as is. And I think just having a sense of reverence for this great ongoing miracle can allow us that connection. Albert Schweitzer, A Reverence for All of Life. Albert Schweitzer is really interesting reading. Mm. The doctor who went to Africa. So, you know, mm. Also mastered the organ, pipe organs. Played Bach. That's a yeah, tricky looking yeah. machine too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... I still enjoy listening to Schweitzer playing Bach because you one of the, I don't know what words to use anymore, one of the deepest souls, you know, probably among mm-hmm. human beings in Albert Schweitzer. And I remember, I can't find the quote. Another person I need to He read. was very prophetic in some ways. His spiritual understandings were very keen and crisp. And he said, a day will come when, and he used the metaphor of we will have a culture that will tie wax fruit on trees to deceive us. Now, those would have been wax apple days. Right. You could go buy yeah. fake fruit for your dining room table that would have been wax, cast wax. Mm-hmm. Now they're plastic. Right. Yeah. Say. yeah. And he said, no, days of that kind of deception will come, and it will be very difficult to discern the true from the false. Absolutely. And I believe we're really careening we're really deep in swiftly yeah. there with all of our algorithms and artificial intelligence and machine learning. 
mm-hmm. and the forms that's going to take and the impact upon humanity that that will have. When you think yeah. about just how compelling any kind of media is nowadays, right, right, how, right, right. how far along the yeah, graphics yeah, yeah, technology yeah. has gotten, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it really does suck you in. Right. Yeah. I find it interesting at the time that we almost are being pushed to go over the cliff in some ways. You hear human beings talk about, well, the universe helped me today. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, that. Yeah, universe must be looking out. Yeah. A benevolent view of the universe. That's what I find interesting, because that gets you next door to love again. Yeah. See. Mm. And we're coming through our fears of re-talking about love, in the biggest sense with a capital L, and what door is that going to take us back out to? I'm curious to see, because I think that we yeah. are exhausting the, uh, people I think got tired of hearing the word love well, yeah, for a the, while, you know, it's all hippy-dippy, this and that, we, but we're starting yeah, to, to yeah. I think, get we to a little bit more sophisticated. the free love movement. Right, yeah. Forgive me for the damage we did, too. Right, well, I mean... I know, but I know. It's like you guys weren't islands unto yourself, though. You know, you, you were part of a chain of humanity that went back thousands of generations before. We were idealists, too, in, yeah. a, in a good sense. I, I almost feel like it was an appropriate answer. Um, the pendulum needs to swing. Yeah. And, and we had become very closed off to ourselves in many ways, right. perhaps. And then it was, it was But a I time find that interesting, see. Now, there's a... But yeah, it went far. Huh? It, it did go a little far, but yeah. well, know, that's, how, that's how we learn. So you've got to find out what too far is. To, just know, like a child pendulum. is learning. Yeah. Swings out to extremes and mm-hmm. then comes back mm-hmm. and can slow down near the middle. Yeah, And we've got to find out what yeah. out there is yeah. like yeah. so yeah. we can understand well, what's useful. What's Some of us do. Some apparently are fortunate enough not to have to right. yeah. go to certain extremes and excesses. Uh, but I find that interesting and I find that a very positive trend. Not among everybody, but among some. And I'm reading a uh, devotional penned in 1955 by one E. Stanley Jones, who died at age 87. Hmm. And some of his first ones were penned in the 1940s. And he is a very fascinating Christian evangelist uh, who had a spiritual awakening at age 17 at Asbury Theological Seminary that still is in existence. And I don't know what was going on there, what drew him there, but he was zapped beyond where I was zapped drinking coffee that morning in Kalamazoo, Michigan. He was zapped and in what is called drunk in the spirit for three days. Now you find evidence of that kind of talk in the book of Acts. They appeared drunk at Pentecost. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit for that galvanizing of the first ingathering of those followers of that rabbi from Nazareth. Mm. And the Holy Spirit was poured out in a home, not a temple. They were in the upper room of a home, like our family rooms, mm-hmm. or great rooms we call them, not in the temple nearby. All right? Fascinating, because all were equal. 
male and female, slave and free, who had been captivated by the teachings of that Rabboni, great rabbi, great teacher. I love that aspect of the teaching, yes, too. Yes, the yes. fact that he didn't care who he hung right, out with. Right. He, he hung around with the prostitutes. He hung around with the lepers. He, yeah, and all the mystery religion, out, the Roman mystery religion practitioners and seekers, yeah. Uh, but E. Stanley came up out of that three-day epiphany time, as some would call it, uh, knowing he was called to India and to share Jesus in India the gospel in India. Now, the early apostle Thomas, we feel, went to India, and there is a whole group of churches that date themselves back to Thomas, one of the first apostles. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he had a heart. E. Stanley loved everybody. And he started what he called, he used the model in India of ashrams. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he did Christian works, and he would teach there, and what I enjoy stumbling into some of his writings is when he gives accounts of his interaction with some of these seekers, and they said, you really love Jesus, don't you? And he would simply answer, yes, he's in my blood. And they could tell. He was very attractive. He, He said, I found when I could stay correctly related to Jesus in me the hope of glory in me. Christ is our hope of glory. He lives in us. There's a flicker in a flame that can turn into a full flame, mm. say. This is something I haven't yeah. been able to gain an understanding of until yeah. recently. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this idea of embodying this ultimate archetype, this ultimate example of the highest level of beingness that humans can encapsulate. The one. The one. It's beautiful. And you also made me Think about the infinite, so, so what was eternal that gentleman's name? E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones. Yeah. Jones. Okay. E. Stanley, e. Stanley Jones. Jones. He said, whenever I could stay in the right relationship in my heart with Christ, I didn't find it necessary to bad rap any religion or person in India. I love it. And he let them be who they were because he saw they were on their path. And, and when was this that he did that? Well, again, he lived, I forget what year he died in. He died at 87. Okay. uh, Okay. In fact, his last book is called The Unchanging Person and the Unshakable Kingdom. Okay. I remember you telling me about this. He said that Christ and the kingdom of God, that realm and reign, Mm -hmm dimension of God um, merged and he had to stop and start over and he finished that book at 87 and they were able to convene their first Christian ashram meeting in Jerusalem and he delivered what turned out to be his last life message from a wheelchair Mm. and it was on the unchanging person and unshakable kingdom. That's awesome. I I feel like actions like that are really helpful to humanity as a whole uh, because that gentleman took on not just the process, and we were talking about Mm -hmm. this earlier before we started recording, about service, about action, about taking action. And actions like that are really heartening to me because I feel like we are in a time 
to where we're trying to find a way to, if not necessarily marry our religious mm-hmm. systems, yeah. to at least be able to see them working together on the same playing field, on the same level, and find those points yeah, of congruence yeah. that allow us yeah, to yeah. continue rising up together. Yeah. See, our Constitution requires us, if we really look at it, to aim at living peacefully together. It does. Uh, yeah, it's profound that, domestic that, that we pull that off. Rather than domestic discord. Yeah. As a professing Christian, at times feel required to apologize to the younger generations because we haven't demonstrated or, to use the word of your podcast, actualized the kingdom of God in real ways. Right. It isn't just a hereafter coming thing. It's to be here now. Jesus said it's in your midst. It's to be in your heart. It's to be filling your heart. The love, the realm, the reign of my Father, our nature in you. I feel like we had to go away from it for a little while and return to it. Well, I think that that was part that's of the what I see that... and why I'm really enjoying teaching. Mm-hmm. Because um, your generation, so for instance, in the hippie movement, there was this idea of one love. Yeah, there, there's a lot of yeah. of, of loving um, ways of being that were that were being popularized, and. See, but what happened was... And even though we were letting go of organized religion, yeah. that, that was part of the... Well, process. we had rebelled against organized religions, yes. plural. Yes. Whatever brand of Christianity a lot of us walked away from for whatever reasons. And then... Well, still reaching to the The love of God, though, reached in, and as some scriptures say, he's looking to take even rebels as trophies. <laughs> and I'm definitely a rebel that was captured. The, I think he was a Victorian poet and a heroin addict, Francis Thompson, Thompson the poet, who would go into monasteries because those were the only recovery centers back then. Hmm. They took in the alcoholics and the drug addicts addicted to opium, which would have been like heroin, you see. And he kept relapsing, but he wrote incredible poetry. And one poem is called The Hound of Heaven. And it talks about Jesus in terms of being the sent hound from heaven. And that's part of my story. The faster I tried to run away, the hotter his breath came (laughs) to be on my neck. Until eventually that morning he had me. The more... And I couldn't even tell you how he captured me. The more it would prove itself... I just in, knew in I series was of synchronicities, because in my yeah. experience, it's, it, it seems to pile synchronicities up. So here's one, one in a yeah. billion chance of this thing happening, but yeah. I'm going yeah. to ante up, and I'm going to add a few more right after that, just to make sure you really know Synchronicities that there's something and serendipities and yes. Ahava Hasid, mercy, love, on the move toward every human all the time. It seems to express itself to us every time that we let go. And we are just appreciating the natural beauty of the world around us. At least that's when it's become apparent to me. Um, One time after work, I'll tell a quick story. I was working in Harper's Ferry at an old hotel that is now closed called the Hilltop House. Now standing out Mm -hmm. front, having a smoke, and looking at Maryland Heights across the river, which Mm -hmm. is a mountain. Mm -hmm. And I was wearing my glasses, and the stars were out, and I was looking up, and I see the first star of the night. And as I look up to it, I get one of those light spikes that you get. With the, mm-hmm, with the lenses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as I looked up, that light spike aligned itself with my vision, and I saw something traveling down the light spike. 
No, I, I just had a moment yeah. of experiencing yeah. the beauty of the night in the yeah. mountain, yeah. the way it was yeah. silhouetted yeah. against yeah. the dark blue of the sky. Hmm. And so as, as I'm appreciating this beauty, I notice this yeah. thing traveling down this yeah. line yeah. of light. Yeah. And so I hold my hand out. Just, well, you know, okay, if something's coming, I'm going to hold my hand out. And sure enough, this little thing traveling down that light spike came and floated right down wow. into the palm of my hand. And I don't know exactly what it was, but I think it was a spider web, but it's a perfect, perfect circle strand of spider web, yeah. like a little ring. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one of those moments, you know. So is that accidental? It could be. It could be, but it's a very profound accident. But if it is, then... And it's still a remarkable beauty. It well, that's what I mean. My, oh, my, moment. what a... And, I, and, I, and I'm still living mystery a talking, meshed in. animate being on a planet in the midst of infinite space that no one can explain. So yeah, it so yeah. retains its profundity. Right, right, right. Yeah. Beauty. Beauty. Can be awesome like that can also be terrible or troubled. Um, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and what we're involved with here is kind of fearful at times and wonderful at times. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, see, this is what we as humans can get to, is where we can could say re-recognize the beauty of the moment, why some of the concepts with uh, Buddhist coat taken off of them, mindfulness and living in the moment, are so popular right now and so helpful right now and healing right now. Absolutely, as we're increasingly inundated yeah, with the mass yeah. distraction all around us. I looked at the back wall of magazines yesterday at Books A Million, and there was a whole two shelves almost on more Buddhist-oriented magazines about mindfulness and living in the moment. Now, there are parallels. We could spend another afternoon talking about that are very similar to, again, what I touched on earlier, where Jesus said, you know, chill out. Look at the flowers. They're not toiling like you are and fretting and striving and thinking you should win the lottery today. You know, they're being cared for. And um, the lilies of the field. And let the psalm, let go, relax, and know that I am God. And I will be lifted up. I will be regarded. You know? Let be. Um, we were talking earlier about the meaning of the word amen. Yeah, well, let it be so. Let this be. It's a one word inherited form of prayer, a Hebrew word, I mean. Amen, amen, we say. But in anointed times, times where a group of people might be called to gather and be blessed to know the manifest presence of God in their midst, and then called to pray about a matter of need or a situation in need in the earth, uh, 
and they humble themselves and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that time of intercessory prayer. And someone hears a word that heaven once spoken into the earth, where there's a joining of the throne room of heaven and the earth in that sacred place and a sacred time, a holy time. And that person finds the courage to speak it. Mm. And there's a decreeing. Mm. Amen changes in nature and meaning to be and now is this thing so in the earth it is done what were the last words of the messiah on the cross it is finished it is finished and he yielded your words surrendered his spirit and right before that he says abba forgive them they know not what they do that's always been a very powerful statement to, yeah. to me as well. Yeah. It felt yeah. like he was communicating that, not just to God, but to the people around him. When Jesus said that, when he was being tortured, forgive them for they what, know not what they do. Crucified. It, it no, that was like, at the point of... That was at the point of crucifixion. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it, it felt to me like he was almost suggesting that yeah. let's not blame each other for our programming and conditioning. Forgive. Forgive. Release. And Release them to me, rather than you thinking you know what to do about everything. Right. Or what everything should be, or who should be in what? Earthly political power for a little brief second? Mm. The kings of the earth have never lived, and the princes with them have never lived any differently, really. There is nothing new under the sun, as the preacher in Ecclesiastes put it. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That's the constant trap, the, yeah. the ego trap. You, and you see the Eastern religions in their way trying to deal with that. Yes, with absolutely. the ego mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the wrong self. And the, yeah, the misidentified self. Yeah. We get wrapped up in our psychological sense of self, our self-image, the yeah. accumulation of ideas yeah. that we've built up over time that we take as who we are. In the Hebrew, the God of the Hebrews, as he's sometimes called, and I really like that phrase. I sort of got into that this morning thinking, you know, the God I know is the God of the Hebrews. And see, Paul was walking around Athens one day. Some call him the greatest apostle. I would say, be careful, you know, you don't have to Rate say who was the greatest. Yet. Again, we're always, that's what Jesus said. You're always into this wanting to be greater than each other. We've been comparing probably yeah. since comparing out. Pre, pre-Egypt. Compare in, bottom line. I think that that was an artifact of us learning how to measure yeah. Yeah. things. Once we started yeah. to become a very adept tool-making species and we started to build large monoliths and temples, we learned to compare and contrast things always. and we started doing it to each other. Always. Comparing ourselves to it's other human people. nature, part yeah. of the human condition. Mm. We tend that way. See? But Paul said, oh, I see you're very religious. He'd been walking around all the different altars and shrines. And he said, I see you're very religious people. And he said, I see you even have an altar here to the unknown God that actually was set up to honor the God of the Hebrews who during a time of plague, the Greeks and Romans had prayed to all of their gods to try to stop the plague and death. And it didn't happen. And some of them, whoever it was, I don't know history well enough to tell you, said maybe we should go to the Hebrew prophets and see if they would pray to their God. And they did that. 
And the God of the Hebrews healed. And so they set up an honor to all an altar to honor the God of the Hebrews. The unknown God. How cool the is that? The unknown God, which was really the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, yeah. say? Noah, Shem, mm -hmm. this funny priest who appears, Melchizedek, had no origin, beginning and no end, and laid hands on and imparted something to one Abraham. Which could have been a previous to incarnation. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A theophany, some would call it. And back, though, to Adam. See, and I'm finding, and this is a mouthful, and some of my beloved brethren might not like this, but I'm an old, I'm ending up an old earth person. And having had my genome done and discovering I carry Neanderthal this afternoon. All right. And I carry more of it than my wife does, and so she blames my <laughs> messier studio office than her neatly cleaned rooms, you know, and my having more <laughs> yes. Neanderthal. Um, and what we touched on earlier was that we have found the oldest human creative expression, a mark we made in a cave in Spain 66,700 years back a human hand stencil print, the oldest yet found, where we have this urgency to leave our mark or to somehow saying, I'm really, I'm really here. Mm. We're here, mm. see? Mm. And we blew what, with spit and pigment? Yeah. Through a hollow bone or a stem of a plant? <laughs> Over the hand. A and straw. Yeah. We blew pigment through a straw around our hand and left our mark. And many of them, most of them were discovering because of the shape and the size of the wrist and the apparent bone structures were female. Interesting. So most of the earliest cave art, these hand prints and stencil prints were probably made by females. That's intriguing. Yeah. Well, you had me thinking about how that must have been very much the beginning of our self-awareness. Yeah. See, you've and got we it. wanted to stay, say that we were here, and that'd be interesting. It also maybe would make sense that the, the feminine would be among the first yeah. to start noticing that. Well, if we carry, were out hunting for food more than they were, and they, they were caring for babies. Caring for babies that were growing inside them, yes. so you become very yeah. self-focused yeah. and yeah. thinking yeah. about the self and the changes yeah. of the body. Yeah. That uh, sense of um, presence... And then we started making some marks itself. and symbols that eventually grew into language, mm -hmm. signs and symbols. And there's been a recent compilation of all the different symbols. I gave it to my artist friend, one who was really into using symbols in his paintings. Uh, of all the different caves of Europe, the early cave art, we put them all together now. And you can easily see the beginning of language. Well, and we made sounds, and you, we would have begun to recognize percussion, beats, and music, and all of that came forth. See, the earliest human art forms. Um, you know, I like the idea that language is the process of grouping together symbols, yeah, which yeah. we would have marks seen as sigils, even imbued with magical meaning. or very Well, and then we started noticing that the stars took on configurations as we were out there under the velvet black night sky. Mm -hmm. And the moon and the changes 
you know, the phases of the moon the patterns. and the way that impacted us. And then we come back in and began to make some dots that recorded the constellations we were beginning to see. And severe weather hits and half of us are wiped out. Lightning. Well, how well, did we come up with the concept too, of deity? The various gods and goddesses and all the rest, you see. Uh, man being spiritual and some moved to worship when you enter deep awe and you find a sense of reverence gripping you. For what? For who? Say, it can take different forms, different expressions. But in that, that, that interest, that curiosity yeah, yeah, compelled yeah, us to explore yeah. In, yeah. outward and inward. Yeah, and then to record that, to express it and share it. It's a thing of sharing. Or if we have a desire to share, like you do in your podcast, that's a positive thing, unless you were an egotistical maniac, you know, wanting to somehow cash in and, you know. (laughs) 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 And we're tinged with all that, you know, too. We are. Um, And we have to have food and water and shelter. So... um, that's sort of where I'm at, is back around myself at my old age, uh, feeling delightfully fresh and aware and in touch with and in communion with and trying to keep the relational aspect cultivated. A life of prayer. Well, it's a, a posture of heart. Okay. An inclinate prayer is a posture. It can be like mm. the purring of a cat. I was actually told that after I had that spiritual awakening experience. My students, uh, who I found out later had me as one of their top ten faculty members for God to get on their prayer hit list at Western Michigan University. Because it was a time of the moving of the Holy Spirit. And see, you touched on the hippy-dippy part, but there was a whole Jesus movement, as Time Magazine called it. A whole group of us that, like I said earlier, the love of God reached in and captured, though we were rebels. Hmm. Near anarchists, a lot of us. Hmm. See? And so it turned into the Jesus movement. And some of my students were believers in praying for me. And then uh, there was a day when... I shared my story and some students would get upset and there were believing and unbelieving pastors on campus in Canley Chapel and some of them got very upset and disturbed over what God was doing, not what we humans were doing because we were just getting captured by the love of God and our lives put back together from being drug addicts and stuff. Mm. And one day, one of my students rushed out of the room screaming at me, Burgle, I'm going to report you to the dean. I'm sick of you proselytizing. And she got about two feet outside the door, and her feet were glued to the floor. She couldn't move. And the longest time went by, and silence, and the whole classroom froze. Because she froze and everyone Her name was Laura. I don't remember her last name or family name. And then 
she began to turn around like inch by inch by inch by inch and made little baby steps back into the room. And when she got through the doorway, she simply said, what do I need to do to know him? Huh. And believing students shared, I didn't lead her quote to the Lord. Yeah. Other students did. Yeah. And she became the firebrand on campus. Huh. And people were healed. Some would say they were set free from unclean spirits hmm. that they had opened their lives and even given their lives over to. Some were into Wicca, into various schools of the occult, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, we were into everything back then. Oh, yeah. You know, white yeah. magic, black magic. You couldn't find the books on it then that you can now in any bookstore or online. I mean, yeah, there right. it all is. And so healings were happening, and one day when I again was walking in, the dean pulled me into his office and said, sit down, Burgle. I don't. what's going on? He said, and he pulled out this petition that some of the unbelieving, what I'll call unbelieving, they didn't know Jesus personally, and they were had been through seminary and all of that. He said, they've got a petition going around being signed to have you thrown off the faculty as the organizer of a radical religious movement. He said, so what's happened? What's going on? And I had come to a living faith. And a faith that set me free from drug addiction. What were you teaching yeah. at the time? Was it Humanities, what I'm teaching now. Yeah. yeah. And running an art gallery there, they had hired me to partially start an art gallery for a live curriculum. We brought in um, John Cage, who's certainly more of the East than Western stuff, say, the composer, the E. E. Ching, mm -hmm. um, and... Um, Stan Lee, I gave Stan Lee a sh one of the first shows of his comic board, wow. Marvel Comics. How cool is that? That's awesome. Uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, poet, black poet, female black poet. I can't remember her name right now. And I mean, p writers, musicians, composers. It was a wonderful curriculum, a live curriculum. And um, so he listened to me and he said, as long as you don't proselytize where you try to force conversion on someone. He said, you're not on, you have every right in humanities to share your human experiences and stories. Right. And so I really received a kind of benediction from the dean. And I didn't overdo it, really, because I didn't have to. There I was just like a, a sweeping of the part spirit of across that campus. Well, we yeah. do have religious yeah. inclinations. Worship. Some humans worship. Some yeah. don't. Yeah. Some are are deeply believers mm -hmm. of one religious structure or another, one god or another, or goddess even now. Uh, others are atheists, and there are books now being written on how religious some atheists have become. They're more ritualistic than some of the, not, than the believers are, who want to be free of all that. Very attached to certainty. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah very strong believers themselves. Oftentimes. And practices yeah. that they ritualistically, religiously almost... Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel like that's part of us, yeah, biologically, yeah, that yeah. the well, religious inclinations. Again, go, time travel back, and you're out there under Coming the velvet black yeah. sky. Yeah. Here's a little thing floating down from somewhere into oh, right. your palm, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's there. It's out there. It's there, and, and it's then... Here for us to wonder at. The beauty of it, see, even develop and it a can be terrible beauties, troubled beauty, 
And I listened to an interview recently with um, Patrick Otuma from uh, the Cormila community in North Ireland. It's a community of reconciliation and why the border there between North Ireland and Ireland is in dispute in the whether the Brits are going to leave the Soviet Union, I mean Soviet Union, the European Union, excuse me. And he has a poem, a very interesting title. It has both the North, but then he has urn at the end of North, the Northern of Ireland. Interesting, the Northern. And if we can hear him also because I find a lot of his working concepts very universalist in terms of the kind of application you could make. What's the syntax of the state here in America, the syntax of the state? What are the goals of the state, dependent on what regime is in power? Again, mm -hmm. the kings and princes of the earth have never lived and been about things too differently than they are today. Hmm. I can relax when I think that way, rather than getting all warped out of shape about the 2020 coming up. Right. <laughs> ah. It is both a dignity and a difficulty to live between these names, Ireland and North Ireland. Okay. Perceiving politics in the syntax of the state, statism as an issue. Always will be. Mm. And at the end of the day, the reality is that whether we change or whether we stay the same, these questions will remain. Mm. Who are we to be with one another? And how are we to be with one another? And what to do with all these memories of all those funerals? Mm. And what about those present whose past was blasted far beyond their future? Mm. 60 million displaced humans on the planet right now. Mm. The migrants, immigrants, caravans. I wake. You wake, she wakes, he wakes, they wake, we wake, and take this troubled beauty forward. Beautiful. Powerful. Hopefully, I'll add, that that Hopefully. would become our aim. Hopefully. To take beauty in whatever way we're experiencing it at a given moment, really, forward. Hmm. Hopefully forward, yeah. Yeah. It's the Hopefully. motto of the state I was born in, forward. It's the state motto of Wisconsin. I've come to Take appreciate, it. yeah, forward. Yeah. And we, do, we all are coming to awakening in ever new ways as a human species. Hopefully. And particularly now, I yeah, feel like yeah, yeah. we're wrestling with uh, very, very difficult challenges. Yeah. And this idea of opening our awareness yeah. to be more considerate and of, compassionate and yes yeah because you have to be compassionate to be considerate consider and cons uh, consideration and compassion seem to open us to wisdom right. it takes us beyond beyond wisdom, yeah. intellectualization and that wisdom is very much more all-encompassing right I, I like that the word consider because yeah. 
it does mean to be considerate. Yeah, so when you consider yeah. something deeply, you're being considerate, you're being very mindful. After I came to personal faith, I would go down and stand outside of the YMCA, I think it was, and look up at the windows where people were meeting in aura classes, like an aura around the human body, the energy that mm -hmm. we emit as human beings that I had been attending, see, right before this all. And I, I didn't feel the need to attend those anymore because, I mean, like... Something much The more light of the world deeper had found me, can... had captured me. Yes. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, I'm pointed towards He said, I am the light of the world, essential. but then a couple of verse or two later, he said, you are the light of the world. See, how are you to walk that out? And I was so burdened because I had been awakened, really, to my a word that you could hear wrongly, my lostness mm. and my brokenness, but then my foundness. Mm. And, I, you know, I had grown to really love and appreciate some of those fellow human seekers. And I would remember praying, I, what am I supposed to do? Do I go in there and talk to them? And I was taken to a verse, I couldn't tell you this afternoon where it was in the New Testament, there will be one flock and one shepherd. And the Holy Spirit said, pray for them. They're just human beings like you. Mm. Bottom line, we're equal. And God is giving equal regard to every human as we sit here and has total love at all times and would want to have, be able to reach your heart, my heart, my funny brain, mind and wants us to be able to lovingly yes. accept where they're at yes and, and give desire them the, room the to best grow. for them yeah yeah give them the room to grow in their own unique if you way. can hold yourself in your heart in a state of desiring the best for every human you encounter in a given day you probably have heard terms that i wouldn't know the definition of for that what we could call state of consciousness mm -hmm or enlightenment or realization. There's a Zen Buddhist teacher that I really enjoy that talks about in seeking to find the freedom for ourselves, we have to give everybody else their freedom yeah. to be just as they are. Yes. Even to self-destruct. Yes. And, and that's then we can probably no longer... the most painful thing you go through parenting mm. is to release... Because you want to resist yeah, you what's re happening. Release your child as they go out and you don't know if you'll ever see them alive mm. again. Oh, wow, yeah. What we call the prodigal, being a prodigal. And I certainly was a prodigal, so hey. Well, on that note, guys, we're <laughs> going to release you all to find your own unique, special way to go right. forth in this world. And thank you so much, Gary, yes. for sitting with yes. me here today. Yes. I really look forward to further conversations. Yes. I'm available. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely be in touch. And thank you guys once again for tuning in to this episode number 14 of Actualization Station Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you'd like to hear more, definitely stay tuned. We're going to be doing more of these on the show. And please do throw down those likes and subscribes to help this podcast rise in the ranks and reach more people. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. This has been Actualization Station.